I'm Jason Ward from MakingStarWars.net, and uh, you're watching the Making Star Wars show or listening to the Making Star Wars show. And today we're going to talk about Willow, which isn't Star Wars. This little guy right here, he's in most of the episodes of the Making Star Wars show. You see, you see him right here, right here. And uh, so I've seen the first seven episodes of the show. I'm going to try to keep each episode I do about this show contained to the episode i'm gonna try not to get ahead of myself or anything like that so that is that is the, the plan that's what i'm gonna try to do um there will, will be spoilers so i suggest you watch the episode first but if you just want a little bit of a of uh my general impressions of it from the first episode only i would say uh i was happy with it like like it's very it's a very logical continuation of the Willow story. In a lot of ways, it's what you would have expected from a Star Wars sequel trilogy. It's about their kids and what their kids do and what happened next and how does this story continue on? Passing the torch kind of stuff to some extent. So it's it's serviceable. It's very good. It made me happy. There was a lot of great moments in it. Um it has some moments that are a little bit less than stellar in terms of performance, things like that. But all in all, I probably would give it a good like 7.5 out of 10. So that's where I would put it. And for the record, I don't ever give 10s. I think 10s are unobtainable. They're not you can't you can't get there. Okay. It's 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 on it's impossible, I say. 10 is perfect. So, anyways, um, the story begins with sort of a storybook retelling of Willow. Now, here's the whole thing, okay? When you get to the first episode, the first episode, or the start of each episode begins with like a storybook. And it's a fairy tale. And I like that. And I'm okay with it. But then at the end, we kind of end with like indie music. And the first episode, I wasn't jazzed about it, but I'm like, hey, it's just the credits. They want to sell some shit on Apple Music, whatever. Like, that was my take on it. Like, fine, okay. But I, I do I feel that it, the bookends of each episode sit well together? No, I don't. I don't think those things do. I don't think here's this fairy tale storybook opening up and then we're, we're ending, you know, on Spotify. I don't think that's a good idea. I think it's a terrible idea. I, um, and when they think that they're they're like, Hey, this ain't your dad's Willow. No, why would you put your dad's, your grandfather's music in it after that? I don't understand that. Fucking confuses me, but I'm getting ahead of myself, which I said I wouldn't do. But that's, those are my thoughts there. Okay. So anyways, uh, we, we start with like a, a recap explaining that Willow and men, Mardigan, uh, who they were, who Alora Denon was, stuff if you've seen the film, which I suggest you watch the film before you see this. But you don't have to because this does it for you. But and then we have Sorsha saying that she married uh, Mad Mardigan, and kind of sounds like she re- like she regrets it. She she married him when she because because she was young. She says, and that's one of the things about this show is she's a little bit of an Anakin Skywalker in a way. 
She's somebody who's doing things for the people she she's doing bad things for the right reasons. She's doing bad things out of love. She's but it sounds like she's messing up. And uh we'll get into that more of that in a, in a little bit, but Willow sees this like vision that the future Empress will be destroyed. And we see Mad Mardigan's sword just like sitting in this like dusty vault full of cobwebs and stuff. And you're like so obviously there's more to come on that. There's some intrigue there. But if you're a Willow fan, you know that was Mad Mardigan's sword in that vault. So, uh, and then we see like Alora and the wand are hidden away. And uh, Sorsha says that it's the only way that they can protect her. According to Sorsha. So then our story kind of really begins. We kind of get past the what is what is willow what are you watching and then we we open up with with kit and jade sword fighting and kit and jade um as this uh, episode goes on are clearly in love i know i said i wasn't gonna move too far ahead but one thing i want to critique the general series about is in the first episode they really sell this idea that they are together that they kiss that they are a thing and i feel like the series kind of rolls it back a little bit I just wonder, I don't know if this is the truth, but I wonder if there was a little bit of a back and forth about whether they were going to go through with how far they were going to be in love and how, what that was going to mean, and they wanted the ability to edit it out or keep it. I don't know. But in the first episode, they're clearly a thing. They're clearly straddling each other and kissing and stuff like that. And then as it goes on, as the series goes on, you start to think, like, have these people ever even held hands? Like, it's, it's confusing in some ways. Uh, but... All in all, um, when, when you start it, I like it. I, I like how, but but we do end up with like just a really messy relationship, like as the story starts, because we have we have Kit and we and Jade, and they're like sword fighting, like sparring and practicing, and then they're told like they need to go and get ready for the for the meeting tonight with the with the prince, you know, because she's gonna have to marry this dude that she doesn't want to marry. And but we know that she's in love with Jade, and then and then we go over to to um Alora Dannon, and she is making out with Eric, who is the son of Mad Mardigan and Sorsha, uh, Kit's twin brother. And uh, if you're not a huge Willow fan, in the original film, there's a character named Eric, and he like doesn't respect Mad Mardigan because Mad Mardigan like like was like a deserter. And then by the end of it, Eric and Mad Mardigan are fighting together. General Kale kills Eric. They were like good buds. He dies. And then they clearly named their son after, after Eric, which is a kind of a big deal. It's sort of like in Star Wars when Ben Solo is named after Ben Kenobi. It's that kind of thing. Sorry for the podcast people, but I need to drink my coffee. So um, Sorsha is like I said, she's kind of like becoming the evil mother by making her gay daughter marry this dude for self-serving reasons. And um, so it, it, I'm, I'm mixed on Sorsha in this episode. Is she good? Is she bad? It's not clear. There's the, We'll get into stuff in a little bit about how she's supposed to, uh, she wants to like unite the, the kingdoms. And they've all been this like like separate kingdoms that are like sort of like under like one banner kind of thing together. But 
Alora Dannon supposed to come and become the Empress and do it. She's trying to circumvent that. And is that a power play by Sorsha? Or is it a love? Is is it out of love? It's not, is it both? I don't know. It's not clear. But I'm not trusting Sorsha. I'll tell you that much. But Sorsha hears the gales are coming. The the gales. It's like these winds. They're evil. And it's this warning from Willow, but Sorsha's ignoring it. So I get the impression in the first episode, Willow gave some straight up prophecies about how what's going to happen, and Sorsha doesn't want to hear it. But now Sorsha's hearing it, but maybe pride is keeping her from acting. So the opening's very, excuse me, the opening's very tropey. Like, oh, I'm a tomboy who likes girls. I don't want to get married to a prince. And, oh, me, you know. But at the same time, like, you know, I'm Eric and I just like chicks, man. You know, it's, but it's fine. You know, no one wants their responsibilities in, in the show. And um, so there, there's there's clearly like a kind of tug between, you know, I don't know if you call it American individualism, but American individualism, or at least the West's idea of it, and duty, right? And we have this character, by the way. Uh, oh yeah, then we end up we end up like in the ball, right? And everybody's like really uncomfortable in the formal attire because they're supposed to be off adventuring because we know them as Sorsha and Matt Mardigan's kids, who Sorsha and Matt Mardigan to us is adventure, right? So duh, okay, it's it's fine, it's fine. There's this character named Ballantyne, and he's like Jade's adoptive father. And he kind of, I don't think, really gets enough time. And the relationship doesn't really get enough time to, like, develop into anything. The, I mean, I've honestly seen this show now a few times. I watched it a few times. And the first time I saw it, I didn't even really, like, he didn't really register. And it was sort of confusing as to who he was. So I don't think they really did that good of a job with the old Ballantine guy. But um, anyways, so Ballantine's there. Oh, yeah. And we learned that Jade is going to be taking um, a, a gig as a as a knight. Uh, she's been she'll be like the only lady to ever hold that position. So it's sort of sort of a big deal. And she wants it. But at the same time, her kind of girlfriend Kit is about to get married to this guy and doesn't want her to go. So it's sort of like they're they're really making Kit into this, you know, princess who's going to become a queen who's going to marry a guy when she's gay. And then she's like, well, I, but I got this other job. So it, it's, you know, you get, you get it. It's fun. It's fine. You know, I like it. But um, we're introduced to Graydon Hastor, the Prince of Galadorn. And uh, he's that one dude from Spider-Man, the one who pretends to be Spider-Man's friend. And uh, he's good, though. He's good. He's in the first episode. He's a little wooden. He's supposed to be stiff, and the performance is wooden because of it. But he actually has a couple of the funniest lines in the episode. And um, I I like I like the character. And as the story goes on, I actually do find, beyond this episode, I do find the character intriguing. So I'm glad that he's here. And um, we learned in the first episode, like the big, like bowl of like, just so you know, his brother fell out of a tree and died. And that, that will come into play later. And um, so, so Kit gets to marry him. That's kind of, that's how kind of how Kit puts it. So, and then we, then we go to back to Dove and Dove is dressed like a kitchen maid, 
and uh the actor who plays dove i really i I like the casting a lot i think it's really good i think that's that's somebody who i would have seen in my mind when i was envisioning a willow sequel as dove so she nails it my only kind of uh we, we we run into a weird problem with writing willow in my opinion and that's that it's 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 comedy with stakes so you will have her her IQ though because of comedy lower significantly and then elevate again and it's kind of a problem i know i said i wasn't going to go beyond the first episode but it's kind of a problem throughout the, the whole season of what is a Laura is a Laura Denon adult or is she wise and and it it really does fluctuate uh just according to whatever's easiest for the scene at the time and uh that said she's sort of very sheltered and innocent and um doesn't know a lot about the world and uh and the performance is good and I'm okay with that part I'm okay with her having been sheltered the original version of a Willow sequel that was a three-part book series um, had her grow up to be a spoiled brat princess who was horrible. So this is like the complete opposite take on it. This is the other way, which I like this way better. I've seen a Laura Dannon handled worse in a sequel before. So I have no complaints um, about, about her really. Other than, like I said, as the series in, in total things um it's like is that growth or is it inconsistency well you want to say it's growth but then she's kind of dumb again but one of the things i like that it seems to be implying is like there's this like comedic moment where she talks about how she burned her muffins and she's very serious about it because she's sheltered and that's all she does is cook muffins and she's she's a, a kitchen maid and uh i kind of feel like they're sort of equating the magic and how you will do magic with cooking and so in a weird way while they were trying to stop Alora from practicing any kind of craft witchcraft or magic whatever you want to call it she was cooking and um and i think that those skills in cooking are going to be what allow her to become a magician or a wizard or whatever they call it willow so um but yeah we have moments though with like Eric and Dove, who's really a Laura Dannon. Nobody knows that yet in the in this in the story. And he she goes to say I love she says I love you to him. He doesn't say it back. And then we have this moments where he's talking to like a duchess and like her hot friend or something. I think Alora calls her a trollop. And he is clearly into those girls. He's not really ready to settle down. But when Alora goes to break it off with them, he says he's ready to settle down with her. And when he kisses her in the beginning of it, he he it looks like he has an accident in his pants. I can't lie. He's he's shivering and all this stuff. I'm and I think it's because of, of her being a magical person or her magical power, or who she is. Um Maybe she cleanses evil. I kind of get that impression throughout the series and throughout the original film. So uh, that might be what it's experiencing. But I'm curious as to if that love is, if there really is love there, because she loves him. That goes without saying in in the story. She loves Eric. 
but does Eric really love her is open for interpretation. There's even a moment where Eric is like, she's like, Eric, when the, the castle's being attacked later on, she's like, let our love, you know, fuel your 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 passion or your power or whatever. And he's like, yeah, okay. And And it's not clear if that's because he's like, yeah, like he doesn't really love her that much. Or if it's because it was just so over the top, because Alora seems embarrassed by saying that, so it's kind of it's kind of played into a, a weird place. But anyways, um, yeah. So we uh, we also learn that it's been two hundred moons since the Willow film. So if if it's like a full moon, is that what it means? Two hundred moons. So it's somewhere. I mean, we don't know what how is this earth we have no idea so we got to just say it's been somewhere between like probably like 16 and 21 years the actors are all in their early to mid 20s so just kind of roll with that whatever the fuck 200 moons means i don't know um so yeah we have one realm separate kingdoms and graydon and kit's marriage will unite the empires but like i was saying earlier that's supposed to be a laura dannon's job Alora Dannon is supposed to become the empress who will unite all of the kingdoms. So, Sorsha, is it a power play or is it out of love? I still don't know. Uh, but it's till the day Alora Alora returns, and they all of the people in the 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 party start going till the day, till that day, till that day, like they're shouting it. And um, but Sorsha knows that she's Alora's there. She's hidden. Alora has never left. So kind of weird, but then we start to hear Sorsha hearing Willow's warnings in her ear again. She's having sort of those flashes, you know. Then we have a peculiar scene. And I kind of understand it, having seen further episodes, but I kind of still don't. And that's that Borman is a new character. By the way, my favorite character by far, the breakout character of the series, in my opinion. And Sorsha goes down and visits him in jail. He's in he's in her prison. She's he is her captive prisoner. And um <coughs> excuse me. So we have like there's some implied history, and you know, Borman chastises Sorsha for making Kit marry the, the uh, prince and says, you know, you married Mad Mardigan, which was hard, but you did it out of love. You did it for the right reasons. So Borman's this this really horny character. And I'd say Willow's always been a pretty horny series. Not Willow himself, but the Mad Mardigan side of it. Mad Mardigan's a pretty horny character. Borman, he's he's our new Mad Mardigan, and he's a very horny character. Um, there's some great moments with him in future episodes and this episode. But um, it's interesting that it Sorsha will go meet with Borman. And Sorsha explains that she's done all she's done to protect the people she loves. And like I said, Anakin vibes is what I wrote in my notes here. And that's that's true. So then we get Kit and Jade slow dancing together. If at this point you're still confused that, it, that they're super gay for each other, then I don't know what to do for you. But um, right there, yeah. I mean, everybody in the room should know it. I'm not saying if two women slow dance together, but when you see them slow dance together, it's they're clearly into each other so uh and then this is when jade lets kit know that she's taking the gig 
and uh, said that she'd be the first knight of Galadorn, the first female woman knight of Galadorn. And now here is the argument ends with you can do whatever you want. And that right there, this show has these quote heart to heart moments. And with these two in particular, you could do what you're going to do whatever you want. You're just going to do what you're going to do anyways. It happens a lot. I'm okay with the first one. I'm okay with the last one, but it's all the ones in between that gets a little tedious for me in the show. Just, just, just to be clear. And this, the show likes to do hard, heart to heart moments. Later on, there's even it, it happens with every group of characters all the time, every episode. And um, part of me wonders if it's a COVID thing because you only need two characters. You could have this talk, or is it just the way that's a, that's a sort that's a, that's a you know, need two actors to to do it? I don't know though. But um, the, most of the lines in it are good. I, I don't take it I'm not too hard on it. I don't take it too seriously. Um, but you do have like sorcerer talking to, to to Kit saying, "If you think I'm tough, you should have met my mother." And it's just like a couple of times I was like a little cra- little bit cringy. And um, also to go back to to Sorcia kind of sucking um, as a person at this phase in her life, when Eric tries to get involved. Um, and talk about like the current climate, she chastises him and says, just shut up and go back to chasing girls. You idiot. I don't know if that's some transference of, of hatred about the father or, or what, but she doesn't let him grow. She keeps him in that spot. She expects nothing of him. And it's kind of why she gets nothing of him. I think, I think that's what the show's implying. Anyways, um, Kit and Eric, um, they also have another heart to heart. Everybody has to have heart to hearts in this show. And uh, saying, You're going to leave just like dad did. And he says he's not going anywhere. Um, but of course he is. I mean, without even having seen the show, if that happens, you know, that's what it means. So then we go from one heart to heart to another to Eric and Dove. And, um, you know, made her so mad she burned her muffins. And uh, that's when he says he's he wants to commit to her. So what what the story is doing at this point is it's saying Eric's trying to become a responsible man. He's trying not to be his dad. Excuse me, but Kit goes. Um, so oh yeah. So then anyways, so that's sort of where everything washes out. And then we we cut to um, you know. Eric and Alora alone in a room and he's giving Eric's giving Alora a bracelet saying like, this is going to have to do until I can, I can get something better until I can get her. Like, I guess a real engagement ring or equivalent of in the Willow universe, whatever that happens to be. And then we go over to Sorsha having a dream that the gales are coming. And uh, which once again is, was what Willow uh, warned her about. Then we get our four villains at the gates. And um, in the first episode, I think they like look cool. I don't know most of their names, so I call them Bird Lady, Cage Man, Fog Wizard, and Whip Hands. <laughs> but that's, you know, they kind of, uh, they, I get He-Man vibes off of them. 
they kind of remind me of some like he-man bad guys but it's cool though i i dig it um death dog this fog comes in as the evil ascends upon tira's lean and um the death dogs roll out from the original film and uh sorcia knows those are death dogs so she knows what it means excuse me i'm still got a little bit of this cold i hope i'm i hope i'm past it in the next couple of days it's really lingering but um anyways uh alora says to him to eric to let the love you know be the be the strength and and eric's like you know whatever man like that's so weird and then um and then so this big fight breaks out and that eric is in he's trying to he's trying to help the old knight tells eric to stay behind him because you know he's not he doesn't know what he's doing he's not really He's not really Mad Mardigan, you know. He even lies earlier on in the series that he's out there practicing his becoming a knight when he's out there making out with Laura Dannon, who he calls Dove, and he doesn't even know her real name, by the way. And um, her real name later, or her real fake name comes out in a, in a later episode. I won't go into it now. Um, Whip Hands um, is fighting Sorsha while Bird Lady is the one who takes Eric. And like I said, I had a hard time. I watched this a few times and I was like, what, what happens? It's like the edit. I am just not a fan of this. The edit in this sequence, too much is going on and it's just very confusing. And then the following scenes explain it back to you. I would rather just have seen it rather than having it explained back to me. So that part of the the narrative, uh, not, not super strong, honestly, part of the way it was made. I don't know if it was scripted that way or something changed, but it just something feels off about that sequence to me. So, yeah, we have like the uh, the scourge, which is what he's called in the um, subtitles, who I call Cage Man, um, is beating up Jade, and then we just have Borman jump out of his cage of his prison and cuts off uh, the arms of somebody and uh, freeing freeing Jade, and then and then Eric is gone. The witch bird lady stole him. Like I said, we have no shot of him being taken or clear moment he's missing. And like, there was no moment like in Labyrinth, you know, like I've taken your little brother and you have, you know, seven days to find. Like there was just like, it needed something there from the villains. The villains like hear the the voice of, of evil telling them to, to, to get him and go. Scram, we're good. But uh, I could have used a little bit of a little bit of villain monologuing in that moment. Not even a monologue, just just a line or two, just a little something. So, anyways, that though I think was was the weakest part and the most confusing part of the episode. And friends who've seen this have said the same thing to me. I'm curious if you guys agree. Who's now seen it on Disney Plus? Um, Graydon says that they uh, took him, and when he says it, that guy is a lot better than he is in, in throughout the whole series and he is in this episode, but it's just like the delivery is very wooden. And uh, so he does get better. And um, one little like plot clue is um, what's it called? Pan, pancotic or something like that. Pangnoctic. Can't remember what it was called. Something like that is what was spoken, but he knows it. And, and I think that's important to note that he knew the language that the evil thing was speaking. And, uh, but he, and then Borman, uh, and then we 
cut now into Borman having been captured, brought brought before like Sorsha. And the whole gang's there. Kit saying, I'm going to go get my brother. Sorsha's like agreeing and stuff like that. And Prince Graydon's dad's like, you're going too because that's your princess. So you got to go. And he doesn't really want to, but he's like, fine. But his dad whispers something into his ear. And uh, the answer does come later in the series, what he, what he whispers. I doubt most people are going to make the connection because it's so far apart. But point being, uh, make a note of that. That was important. And uh, and for the record, I like Graydon a lot. Um, Graydon and and Borman are like two of the like standout characters for me anyways. I mean, I really do like them all, though. I really don't have like a problem with any of them. I truly do like all, all the characters in the show. I, I get whenever I get angry at the show, the times that I will later on, it has nothing to do with any of the of the cast. Has nothing to do with any of the casting, the cast, the characters themselves. It's completely other reasons. So, but that said, uh, Borman is now the guide, and he's been beyond the barrier. We learn he's been out there. So now we're starting to see, oh, there's something with the sky and Mad Mart again. Something, some connection. It's just not clear. And Sorsha says he's going to go. Because he has a debt to an old friend. And as you will learn, um, there's something there. It's very clear. I'm not spoiling anything. It's very clear. And um, now, my critique of the episode is it should have ended here. That was a good ending to episode one. Bye. Everybody's going. But it doesn't end there. <laughs> Um, you want to have a big opening though, you know, the big up, you want to make sure you, 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 you do everything. And, uh, so we learn in this conversation that Bab Morta's spirit and blood survived. And there's some straight up, like, like star Wars lines here. Star Wars lines are, are in this, you know, it's going to be difficult for you to hear, you to hear, but you must, it's like Luke Skywalker's lines to Leia almost verbatim. And saying that the uh, spirit, Willow says the spirit of Bad Morda will return via the blood and destroy Tira's lean. So the 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 show is pretty much saying Tira's lean is going to be destroyed and it's going to be by the blood. So as the story continues from here on out, we're to be asking, is it Sorsha? Is it Eric? Or is it Kit? Who will somehow embody Bath Morda and, and let her rise to power? Now, in that fight, we see earlier on, this kind of bugs me too. Ballantyne, who's like Jade's adoptive father, he's stuck in the heart, I think, or in the chest at least, with like this magic thing. And then you see him like kind of change and, and we see him like get infected and um, he has like this evil in him. And, and then after this, when he, when he speaks, his voice is like lurch and balance. So Bal but Ballantyne is like clearly something, not himself now, but he still gives Jade a new sword. Still, still does it. Why they didn't have this sword come as a gift earlier on. 
let her use it in this fight, which would have been fine. She could have used the sword in the fight. It wouldn't it wouldn't have taken anything. I I don't know why it did this, but it's really weird. Doesn't really make a lot of sense. Once you're, you know what I mean. So is he conflicted? I I don't know. Is he is he like no? I am Valentine. And like no, we are Valentine. Like it, it. I don't know. I don't know what it means. So, but he does it. Okay, he gives her the sword. So I'll just go with it. And I'm not super crazy about the Valentine content moving forward throughout the series. He's just a dude. I don't have anything against the actor himself, like in in this kind of role. But it, you know. And one one of the things I'll say about the show is um it it I don't know. I'll save that. I'll save that. Let's just say there's some evil dead style stuff in it. And uh I could use more of it than less of it, but it needs to commit. So um so leaving home when they, when they leave when they leave Tira's lean, pretty epic music. It's willow worthy. It's not as like good as the original score or anything, but it's pretty good for Disney Plus. I'll take it. And there's some nice shots of them like riding through whales, you know, uh, out there in the UK. And it feels like Willow. And I was like, fuck yeah, dude. When I was watching it, you know? So, um, oh yeah, there's this like, there's like, like, and Graydon. I've been hard on Graydon, but Graydon has, has a, one of the funniest lines. He says, I'm really scared of dying, that and communal bathing. But it's just done so like under your breath. Like if you weren't paying attention, you could like miss it, but it's, it's good. He, a lot of the lines in it are are very much worthy of Willow, of the film Willow. So then, uh, but the the big like kind of like twist here is that Alora has also escaped, who we know as Dove at this point. We don't know she's Alora Dannon, obviously, and she she's escaped and uh, she meets up with them. She meets up with our our band of heroes going out to find him, and they're like, "You got to go home." She she refuses. She says that she'll be the cook, and uh, like I said, magic and cooking go together. So as the story continues, it will cl- clearly be like a thing. And then uh, Graydon at one point brings out a little flute and starts playing it like that that trope, and they make fun of him. They're like, "Well, what are you doing, man?" But that flute, I like the flute. It's silly, but it's fun. It's fun. And and um, when the first time we really kind of see the whole main cast outside of Willow, uh, Warwick Davis, uh, all together interacting, sitting on this thing, and and when it happens, it works. It, it's it's good. You you believe that the uh, that not only the actors but the characters like they they work. It, it, it's a good it's good chemistry. So we learned that the barrier was built to protect Alora Denon by Willow and Finrazel, the big barrier around Tyrez Lean. And then Kit, in these conversations, lets it slip that Mad Mardigan snuck Alora out of the castle, and she thinks he stayed with her. But Borman knows the truth, and Borman's like, yeah, it's easy to believe that, right? Is that, which, is that just what you want to believe? So Kit thinks Mad Mardigan snuck Alora out, and then... um then we end up we end up later on like the, the next morning they all wake up. Alora's already gone, and Borman's like, mm, "Sleeping on the hard ground will cure will cure you of any romantic notions." And uh, but nope, she's actually gone to the barrier. And um, the the barrier moment in the show, I think, is more is not only symbolic of what the show of what the characters are going through, but the show itself. Because I feel like when we're inside that barrier, 
the rules of the Willow film are very much intact. Once we get out, it starts to fall away a little bit. And I don't think that's necessarily a good thing for the record. But it is what it is. And um, they end up, the, 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 main, the main heroes, if you will, um, end up all together uh, waking up and going out towards the barrier where Laura Dannon has already like crossed this threshold and is investigating it and stuff. Stuff was fine. It was fun. And as they are, as they get there, there's like an outpost and that outpost is supposed to have a bunch of troops. And they think that they're going to resupply there. They get there. There's nobody there. And that weird language is written on the wall again. Once again, Graydon could read it. So in case you're wondering, Graydon, he knows this evil stuff. Excuse me. Um, the harbinger of the worm will come. And uh, one thing, it seems that that stuff, like the ground starts to shake and stuff as Alora is crossing that threshold and she's experiencing emotion. So it kind of seems like Alora's emotions may be connected to this thing. I'm not positive about that. That's my reading at this point. Have you seen the first episode a few times? So... And then Alora crosses the threshold of the barrier. And um, so then we uh, we we kind of get them all meeting up. And they're like, what are you doing out here, Alora? And they're like, she's kind of crazy. They kind, they're kind of amused by her tenacity. But the Bone Reavers attack. And the Bone Reavers are, as you guessed, general kill people. They're the bone people. Now, um, what, two things. Love the idea that General Kill has had a people and that they were bone people and that they were like this bone cult of some sort, that kind of idea. That's fun. Um, on the other side, other hand, um, General Kill has a skull mask. The Bone Reavers have a skull mask, but nothing else in their costumes evoke anything of General Kill. The black fur, none of it. Um. I'm able to let it go design-wise by just going, it's been a long time, and General Kale probably got some upgrades while hanging out with Bav Morda. You know, I don't know. Was he your boyfriend? Or I don't know. Maybe they were just, you know, friends. But <laughs> Bone Reaver's attack, and they got to, like, pick up Alora, put her on the horse, and take her with them. But the Bone Reavers, it is revealed, no Borman. So, obviously, that will be important. And Borman's like, that's not me, mate, you know, but it is. And, um... I meant to look this up, but there's this funny moment where they're riding with Borman. The Bone Reavers are chasing them, and then they he Borman starts yelling something in some other language, and then they go over the cliff, and then they survive, and then the Bone Reavers don't do it. And then later on, Kit's like, what was it? What does that mean? And he says, it means stop. Pretty sure they lifted that from Young Guns. Pretty sure I saw that in Young Guns. Maybe Young Guns too. I don't know. In the comments, you probably know. You tell me. But I'm pretty sure it was in Young Guns. But uh, which also has a uh, Christmas Slater in it, by the way. But I, I think it, I think it might be connected. But um, anyways. But I love the moment. If they stole it from Young Guns, I'm glad. I like Young Guns. It's fun, fun for what it is. But um, so then we end up. Uh, they kind of go on the the lost. They've lost the Bone Reavers. And we finally get to where the Nelwyn village used to be. But when we get there, it's gone. There's nothing there. And uh, like, kind of like, well, you know, what's this about? What, what what happened to it? And there's this like little guy there who's not Willow. 
and say, oh yeah, I'm Willow. Yeah, that's me. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's the guy, this guy, this this is Willow's as we'll learn, is Willow's friend. And um, I love that it that Kit gives this impassioned speech <coughs> about how the world needs your magic again and stuff, and it's not even Willow. It's it's this it's this other other dude. That's good. <coughs> Excuse me. So, anyways, um, but uh yeah, then Willow comes out. And what does he come out with? But a joke. Was that with a big joke saying he could read her mind? He knows she knows she's kit. Excuse me, I am getting I am getting this cold back. I will never I will never be better again, will I? Anyways. <coughs> we end up with uh that that's Willow's opening. He's learned how to be funny. And um that's a big difference between Willow in the original film and this Willow. Willow in the Willow film is a straight man. He's not making jokes. He's not funny. He has no sense of humor. This Willow does. I don't know if I like it. Um, <clears throat> especially when you have all of these other characters in the series being Mad Mardigans. Foreman's Mad Mardigan, Kit's Mad Mardigan, Jade, not exactly Mad Mardigan, but close. <coughs> they all, they all have that same "I'm a swordsman, out of my element" kind of thing. So, <coughs> I need to edit this out, huh? All this coughing. But anyways, uh, Willow then sees Alora Dannon, and when he sees her, he recognizes her. Brings her up, takes her arm, shows that it's really her. She has the uh, the uh, tattoo, and she looks at him, and then like because she's a bit dumb, it's adorable. But she's a bit. She goes, her last line is what, <laughs> and like that's how it ends. And then we cut to indie music, and uh, like I said, when I see this episode, I was like, oh, it's okay. The indie music is okay because it's just in the credits. Oh, oh, that's how it starts. That's how they get you. But uh, I liked it, though. It was good. It it was more than serviceable, I should say. I said serviceable early on. I think it's more than serviceable. I think it was a good opening to bringing Willow back. I was happy. It it did what I needed it to. Um, and I was really excited for the for the next episode. So, so like I said, all in all, I'm gonna I probably give it like like I said around a seven. Ran a seven. It wasn't perfect, but it wasn't wasn't bad. And most of the stuff that I have issues with happens later on, not in the first episode. But Willow just barely comes back in this episode, so we haven't even like really got to Willow yet. So let me know what you guys think in the comments. And um, those are that's my my breakdown and my my thoughts on it. I said love the cast. Has a lot going for it. And I'll see you guys in the next one. It's the end of the show. Come on, let's go. Hey! It's the end of the show. Come on, let's go. Hey! It's the end of the show. Come on, let's go. Hey! No, you should go. Come on, let's go. It's not about spaceships.